Hey creeps, I'm Taylor and this is TGI Crime Day. Welcome to TGI Crime Day. Today we are going to talk about some of the updates in the Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell case. These people are absolutely exhausting to research and to talk about, but here we are. The first episode I did about Chad and Lori was in April of 2021, and since then, a lot has happened. If you haven't already watched or listened to that episode, I will have it linked in the description box so you can easily find it and get an overview before diving into the updates because otherwise you will be lost on a lot of this information. Honestly, in this case, there is so much to this story. I could talk about it for like 10 hours, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep this video as much as I can on the main facts and updates. And this is hard for me because I feel that every tiny tidbit of information is important. Context is everything. And I like to do my best to deep dive and really get into the cases that I cover. But for this one, I'm going to keep it as brief as I can. I This script is still 16 pages long. <laughs> so that tells you how brief this is going to be. Brief meaning like a 45-minute episode versus two hour and a half episodes about Lori's case. To be completely honest with you, I cannot stand these people. This case bothers me so much. And Lori's entire attitude throughout this whole thing makes my blood boil. So rather than me just ranting for an hour about every tiny detail of what absolute monsters both Chad and Lori are, I'm going to do my best to just give you the need to know information and try to keep it concise. Um, but also, I did notice last week that one of my absolute favorite podcasts, Crime Weekly, which is hosted by Stephanie Harlow and Derek Lavasser, they just started covering this case as well. And no one does a deep dive like Stephanie Harlow. Seriously, she has goals. She has life. So listen. I mean, don't leave. Okay. Listen to this one first. Get familiar with the case. And then if you need to know all of the like little tiny details, go watch or listen to Crime Weekly because I'm sure that they are going to do probably like five episodes about this case because there is so much to cover and I can't wait to hear their coverage of it. So like I said, please don't leave. Watch this one first, but then you can also go and get that deep dive. Crime Weekly and Stephanie's YouTube channel are like my podcast crushes, like who I aspire to be. You know what I mean? So that's a great source as well. And also I will have all of the sources that I used for this episode linked in a blog post that I will have linked in the description of this episode. Okay, off we go. Enough housekeeping things. Let's get into the case. To give you a quick overview of where we left off and reintroduce the many people involved in this case, in November of 2019, Chad and Lori ran off to Hawaii to get married on the beach just two weeks after Chad's wife Tammy passed away, very unexpectedly. Around that same time, the police were zoning in on Lori because her two children, Tylee and JJ, hadn't been seen in over a month. JJ was just seven years old at this time, and his grandparents, Kay and Larry Woodcock, alerted police that they were worried for Tylee and JJ's safety, and when police did a welfare check, they found out that the kids hadn't been seen since September. Lori had pulled JJ out of school, and they quickly moved from Arizona to Idaho, but Lori and Chad continued to insist that the kids were safe and that they were fine, even though no one knew where they were and no one had seen them. As police and family members got more and more concerned, Chad and Lori did what they always do and ran off to Hawaii to hide. Finally, on January 25th, 2020, police tracked them down and it was very obvious that Tylee and JJ were not with Chad and Lori and hadn't been in a while. 
They gave Lori five days to get her ass back to Idaho and bring the kids to the police or to the child welfare office. Those five days, of course, came and went, and Lori did not show up. On February 20th, police in Kauai arrested Lori and charged her with two felony counts of desertion and non-support of dependent children, along with charges of resisting or obstructing officers, criminal solicitation to commit a crime, contempt of court, and willful disobedience of court process, which she will just keep doing over and over and over forever. According to the prosecutor's office, each of these carry a maximum sentence of 14 years in prison. Her bail was set at $5 million and she begged them to lower the bail and let her out on a bond, but no one would help her get that bond, rightly so. Eventually, her bail was lowered to $1 million, but she still couldn't get that money together, so she sat in jail, refusing to cooperate or give any information. Meanwhile, Chad was just kind of out and about going on with his ridiculous, quote-unquote, spiritual teachings. Um, Remember, this man convinced Lori and a handful of other people that he was, in fact, a prophet of God, and he had lived many, many past lives and was sent to rid the world of the people who had been turned into zombies. Every time I say that, I can't believe it's something I'm actually having to discuss as if it's not the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Just like Lori, Chad, piece of crap, was continuing to insist that the kids were safe, but would not tell officers or anyone else where they were. On June 9th, 2020, Tylee and JJ's remains were found during a ground search of Chad's property in Idaho. Chad was promptly arrested and charged with two counts of destruction, alteration, and concealment of evidence. They, of course, pled not guilty to the charges filed against them because they're delusional monster nightmare people. So that is about where I left off in my first episode about this case in April of 2021. And like I said, lots has happened since then. On May 24th, 2021, Chad and Lori were both charged with the first-degree murders of Tylee and JJ, and Chad was also charged with the murder of his first wife, Tammy. The indictment stated that their alleged religious beliefs pushed them to commit those murders, stating that Lori and Chad, quote, did endorse and espouse religious beliefs for the purpose of encouraging and or justifying, end quote, the murders. Then on June 29th, 2021, Lori was charged with conspiracy to commit the first-degree murder of her fourth husband, Charles Vallow. The indictment basically said that Lori and her brother Alex had plotted and carried out the murder of her fourth husband. Alex was not charged at that time because he had died unexpectedly in December of 2019, so he passed away before he could be charged with anything in connection with this case, which is really unfortunate. I will go more into the details of Alex and his death and the events surrounding that in a little bit later in the episode. From the time she was arrested until the time of her trial, Lori Vallow Daybell did everything she could to drive everyone insane. There were so many times that her trial was pushed or they went for an angle that she was not mentally competent to stand trial or that she was complaining or even that she was complaining that it wasn't fair that she had to be in jail during COVID. The audacity of this woman is astounding. Before I go into the details of Lori's trial, let's go through some of the updates for a few of the different people involved in this whole situation. One of the most mind-boggling parts of this case is the sheer amount of people that Chad was able to convince to go along with his ridiculous ideas. The different documentaries and the media coverage about this case kind of make Lori seem like she was the mastermind behind all of this. They call her like the doomsday mom and all of that, as if this whole thing was entirely her idea. And do not mistake me for one single second, 
I feel no sympathy for this woman. She deserves every ounce of hate and probably more than she has gotten. But I do find it interesting that the media often acts like she was the mastermind behind this when she and Chad are very much equal to blame. And Chad was the original scheming mastermind behind this whole situation with the spiritual beliefs and the zombies and all of that ridiculous stuff that got us to where we are. The more that comes out about the whole background of their situation, the more and more I'm like, this is a cult. And if they hadn't been caught when they were, he would have continued bringing people into this cult. And that really freaks me out. I see people arguing in the comments on videos about this case, saying that people need to stop calling Chad's following a cult. But that's what it was. And if it weren't for everything blowing up in the media as quickly as it did, like I said, he would still be going on and on about zombies and how he can create closet portals and gaining more and more followers and convincing them of his weird crap. I don't know why people continue to argue about this as if it's up for discussion. It's giving cult. I'm sorry. It just is. Anyways, let's talk about Melanie Pulowski, Lori's niece. Melanie was one of the first people to be truly bamboozled by this pair of psychos. I feel like the tiniest bit bad for Melanie because the thing is, to give credit where it's due, with any cult or cult-like situation, Chad and Lori were preying on someone who was vulnerable and convinced her that she was like this chosen special person. And before you know it, she was strapped into the crazy train and along for the ride. And honestly, she's lucky that she's not in deeper trouble than she is. You know what I mean? And if you remember from part one, Melanie was married to a man named Brandon Boudreaux. And Melanie was very close with her aunt Lori. And as they became closer, she of course, started believing all of Chad's crap. Um, it seems like the more that she got involved with Lori and Chad, the more bizarrely Melanie began to act and her beliefs started to get kind of scary. And eventually, Melanie demanded a divorce from Brandon seemingly out of nowhere. Brandon said that he was blindsided by this divorce, and then they went through a really exhausting, difficult custody battle. After their marriage ended, he was asking a lot of questions and raising a lot of concerns, and Chad deemed Brandon a quote-unquote dark spirit, and he was basically an obstacle to their cause that they needed to take care of. Remember, Chad had the power to know if someone was a dark spirit or a light spirit, and if someone had become a dark spirit, that meant that they were like a zombie or possessed by a demon or dark spirit. And it was Chad's job to take care of it. I, mm. On October 2nd, 2019, Brandon had taken his older kids to school and dropped his youngest off at Melanie's house. When he returned to his home in Gilbert, Arizona, he saw a Jeep Wrangler parked near his house that was missing its back spare tire with a shotgun with a silencer sticking out of the back. There was a shot fired. Luckily, it missed and hit his doorframe and Brandon was okay. But this Jeep Wrangler was the exact match to a Jeep that Lori had access to. And the day before the shooting... Lori and her brother Alex were seen on surveillance footage putting the back seat and spare tire from the Jeep into a storage unit and then seen a few days after the shooting taking it out and putting it back on the Jeep. Not very hard to piece together what happened there, especially since it was later discovered that Google location data showed that Alex drove from Idaho to Gilbert, Arizona and back in the beginning of October. At that time, with everything else going on, Brandon felt it was absolutely possible that Melanie had a million-dollar reason to have him killed, meaning so that she could collect his life insurance policy, just like Lori attempted to collect money after Alex killed Charles, and just like Chad collected insurance money after Tammy's death. They were using a lot of insurance money to kind of keep their lives afloat. 
so you could argue that they needed more of it. And since Brandon had become a dark spirit and needed to be taken care of, it's not that hard to piece together what was going on. The month after the shooting, Melanie met Ian Pulowski and they were married 10 days later in Las Vegas. Ian said that he had to ask permission from Chad and Lori to marry Melanie. From what I understand, it seems like Ian didn't know the whole situation of what he was getting himself into. But while Tylee and JJ were missing, Melanie did her best to defend Lori for whatever reason and did multiple interviews where she talked openly about how ridiculous it was that people were saying Lori was responsible for the kids going missing and standing up for her and saying that there was nothing strange going on. How she did that with a straight face, I will never know, but Brandon raised an alarm in February of 2020 and said that he believed Melanie knew where Tylee and JJ were, and he was getting more and more concerned for the safety of his own children because of her connection to Lori and her beliefs. In a court filing, Brandon said he had, quote, serious concerns for his children's safety if they were placed in the care of their mother, end quote, and he said that she was heavily involved in a doomsday cult in which, quote, Numerous members, adults and children alike, have been being killed off like flies, end quote. I read an article that had a statement put out by Melanie's attorney, Garrett Smith, that said, quote, Sadly and irresponsibly, much of the media has quoted Brandon Bordreau's biased, vindictive, and fake accusations as truth and fact when they are his resentful, vengeful, and dishonest efforts to get full custody of Melanie's children. Brandon Bordreau deceptively took Melanie's children out of the state and kept them unlawfully. Melanie was the stable parent in her children's lives, while Brandon Bordreau traveled for weeks and was rarely home. End quote. After reading that quote, I feel like I can't even form a coherent sentence. Knowing what we know now about Lori and him putting out that statement, especially calling them, quote unquote, Melanie's children, they're also Brandon's children, just as much as they are Melanie's. And he worked and had to travel for his job to support their family. Like, don't even get me started on that attorney. I cannot, I cannot believe. So while Lori and Chad ran off to hide in Hawaii, Melanie was left on the front lines doing damage control. And it looked like at first her current husband, Ian, was also defending Chad and Lori. But during Lori's trial, Ian testified that a week after his marriage to Melanie, he went to the Idaho police about Tylee and JJ, and he began working with the FBI to record conversations with Lori and Chad and Melanie, which is great because he saw red flags and he did something about it. Ian said that he recorded nine conversations in the hopes that he would be able to help the FBI figure out where Tylee and JJ were. He came into the picture a couple of months after the kids went missing, so he didn't know the full extent of what was going on. Oh, by the way, the day that he testified in court, Lori's defense lawyers called Ian a snitch in their opening statements in front of the jury and everyone in court. A snitch, not a liar, a snitch. So he's telling the truth, but they didn't like that he was tattletelling. What is this? The freaking fourth grade playground? Get out of here. I just cannot imagine as a defense lawyer thinking that that's a good defense because he's a snitch. Get real. Anyways, some interesting things came up in Ian's testimony, and I will give you this in a list just to make it a little bit easier and quicker to get through. So, thing number one. Ian said that during all of this, Chad and Lori would give him and Melanie these quote-unquote blessings. Basically, they just would pray over them. Sometimes they would do it over the phone and give them these, like, spiritual blessings. I couldn't find specific information about what went on in these blessings because Ian was a little bit cagey when they asked him about that. He just said that he didn't really remember but based on what he did say, we can kind of make some guesses. Basically, they used these blessings as a manipulation tactic to give them spiritual direction. 
air quotes around spiritual direction. Ian said that this was not so strange at the time, but now he sees that Chad and Lori were absolutely using these blessings as a way to manipulate both himself and Melanie into doing whatever they wanted them to do by saying that they were getting this like message from God to tell these people what to do. The second thing that Ian brought up is that Chad and Lori acted as spiritual mentors and taught Melanie about the light and dark spirits that were possessing the people around them and how they needed to do something about it. Thing number three, one of the recordings included Lori telling her niece that she had cast out Satan, okay, and quote, folded him like a taco and locked him in a box in Antarctica, end quote. Where does she come up with this stuff? Thing number four, on December 12th, 2019, the day that Alex Cox died, Lori told Melanie that quote unquote spiritual attacks were coming and Melanie and Ian needed to quote, find a place of safety. So when Brandon raised concern about Melanie's beliefs and Lori's beliefs and her lawyer acting like they were being ridiculous and saying that, oh, don't be crazy. Melanie's not in a cult. Brandon's just trying to make her look bad. How about now, my guy? Do you still think that they were just trying to make her look bad? Or do you see that this was a dangerous situation for her children to be in, given what we know now? Melanie was also investigated for identity theft in November of 2021. And essentially what happened is that after their divorce was finalized, Melanie had 60 days to get herself off a joint bank account after their property was sold. And apparently she logged into Brandon's business account months after she was supposed to be taken off of the account. And technically that is illegal and it is not her bank account. So she shouldn't be logging into it. And I guess she logged in because she said that she needed to get a copy of a check that had been deposited so that she could give that copy to her lawyer. When an investigation was opened up, the detective determined that there was, in fact, enough probable cause to charge her with a class three felony of computer tampering. And in the police report, the detective interviewed Melanie's lawyer, Garrett Smith, and the detective noted, quote, Garrett told me it is not Melanie's fault that Brandon was dumb and did not change the login information until three days after Melanie accessed the online account, end quote. Seriously, this lawyer. Brandon was dumb to trust that your client wouldn't access an account that she shouldn't have? Again, it's like he's not trying to say that she was innocent or that she didn't do it. He's, it's like he was trying to say it was okay that she committed a crime because her ex-husband was dumb. Anyways... That charge against Melanie was eventually dropped. And I believe I did also talk about this in the first episode, but just as a reminder, Melanie was also arrested twice for criminal trespassing with a domestic violence enhancement in November of 2019 when she and her uncle Alex showed up at Brandon's parents' house and tried to take her children and was refusing to leave the property. Again, given what we know now, it's a very scary situation for those kids to have possibly been put in, but Melanie was convicted and sentenced in December of 2020, and she was put on probation according to court records. If I understand correctly, Melanie didn't testify at all in Lori's trial. She was subpoenaed and people thought she would be called as a witness, but they decided not to call her to testify. And when we get to the end of this episode, I will explain why people think that she was not asked to testify once we kind of get caught up with Lori's situation. So to catch you up on a few things regarding Alex, Lori's brother Alex Cox passed away on December 12, 2019, which happened to be the day after Tammy Daybell's body was exhumed. That was really bizarre timing, but since then his death has been ruled natural. There is quite a bit of evidence that Alex was heavily involved in the schemes and crimes and disturbing murder plots being carried out by Lori and Chad. 
Prosecutors have said that they believe he was an accomplice in the murders of Tylee and JJ, as well as the attempted murder of Brandon Boudreaux and the first murder attempt on Chad's first wife, Tammy Daybell. A detective named Nicholas Edwards was involved in the investigation into Tylee and JJ's disappearance and the murders, as well as Tammy Daybell's mysterious death. Edwards said that there were a few internet searches done by Alex Cox that raised some huge suspicions. If you remember from part one, Chad's first wife, Tammy Daybell, had an incident where someone was shooting at her in their driveway on October 9th, 2019. She said that at the time she thought it was a paintball gun that this masked man was pointing at her. The day of the attempted shooting, Alex had searched the following, quote, what would a Grendel round do to a Dodge Dakota, end quote. The Daybells owned a Dodge Dakota, so that was a red flag. He also searched, quote, how to clean an AR-15, and the day before, he searched, quote, Grendel 6.5 drop from 100 to 300 yards, end quote. And if you, like myself, are unfamiliar with guns and ballistics, a bullet drop is referring to the amount of inches a bullet falls on its way to its target, to put it in the most simple terms. Basically, gravity has a higher effect as the bullet loses velocity, so the farther away from a target you are, the lower the bullet will actually hit from where you tried to aim, if I understand correctly. In Lori's trial, a prosecuting attorney asked Edwards if someone would be searching for a drop to figure out how far away someone could shoot and hit a target, and Edwards said yes. Along with those internet searches done by Alex, cell phone data location also showed that he had been in a church parking lot near the Daybell house the day of the attempted shooting, and he didn't know anyone else in that area in Idaho, so why else would he be near their house? Of course, the defense tried to argue that it wasn't Alex who had pointed a gun at Tammy and tried to push that because Tammy said originally that it was a paintball gun, that it wasn't Alex. In my opinion, Tammy probably was in shock that someone was pointing a gun at her, something she probably never imagined happening in her very safe neighborhood. Her mind probably went to a place of protection, like there's no way that's a real gun, it's gotta be a paintball gun, because who would be holding a gun to me? Tammy said that the person attempted to fire several times, but nothing happened. And an article from DeseretNews.com says, quote, As part of his investigation, Edwards said that he canvassed the community asking if any neighborhood kids owned a paintball gun. They didn't. He also told prosecutors that this specific gun found at Cox's apartment could be mistaken for a paintball gun with a large scope mounted on top that might look like a hopper, which feeds paintballs into the gun's chamber. But the exact sound it would make was another sticking point. Edwards told the defense that it likely wouldn't make a whooshing sound, which is what Tammy Daybell had originally reported. But then he told prosecutors that if it was jammed or misfired, it could make that noise, end quote. So there are quite a few things that point at it being believable that Alex was holding a gun at Tammy and trying to fire at her, especially given that Brandon Boudreaux also went through a similar situation. It's a pretty big coincidence, you know what I mean? Along with the cell phone location data and the internet searches, Alex had bursts of communication with Chad and Lori, dozens of calls and texts on two very significant dates, October 9th, 2019, the day of Tammy's attempted shooting, and October 19th, the day that Tammy actually died. And let's not forget, Alex served a few months of jail time when he attacked Lori's third husband, who was Tylee's father, Joseph Ryan, in 2007. Joseph and Alex had gotten into some kind of confrontation, and Joseph said he believed Alex had an actual gun, but Alex shot him with a stun gun twice in the mall parking lot when Joseph was dropping off Tylee to be with Lori. According to an arrest affidavit, 
Alex threatened Joseph's life and chased him down with a stun gun until another mall shopper saw them, and then Alex ran away, and Joseph was able to get medical attention. Alex pled guilty to aggravated assault, resulting in serious bodily injury. And based on my research, if I understand correctly, aggravated assault is considered a third-degree felony, so I don't understand how he was even legally able to get a hold of a gun. How did he not get any kind of a punishment for shooting and killing Lori's fourth husband, Charles Vallow? At first, this situation was deemed self-defense, but since then, investigators have dug deeper and found evidence that Alex and Lori had been plotting this murder for a while. I think I mentioned earlier, but just as a reminder, on June 29th, 2021, Lori was charged with conspiracy to commit the murder of Charles Vallow, and she is being charged in Arizona for that crime uh, versus the murders of Tylee and JJ and her involvement in Tammy Daybell's murder that she was charged with in Idaho. As of now, which is June 8th, 2023, they haven't taken her to court for the Arizona charge yet. Only a few weeks before he passed away, Alex married a woman named Zulema on December 1st, 2019. This was the same time that Melanie and Ian got married in Vegas. Alex and Zulema also got married in Vegas that same weekend. I believe I read that Alex and Zulema had been dating for about a year and then they just decided to elope that weekend the same time that Ian and Melanie did, which has led to a lot of speculation that Chad and Lori were kind of manipulating everyone into getting married as part of some kind of quote-unquote spiritual revelation that they had had of who should marry who and all of that. I feel really terrible for Zulema and her family. I think she got caught up in the whirlwind and had no idea what she was walking into with Alex's situation until it was too late. And then on top of everything, he passed away right after they got married. Zulema testified at Lori's trial and shared some very interesting information. She said that the night before Alex had died, she confronted him about some of the strange things that she noticed about his relationship with Chad and Lori. On December 11th, Zulema overheard a phone call where Chad and Lori were telling Alex that Tammy's body was being exhumed. And in court, Zulema said, quote, I was very confused about the reason why they would be exhuming Tammy's body. And I was asking why would they be exhuming her body if she died of natural causes? And I asked Alex if he was involved in anything to do with Tammy's death. He said no, end quote. But because he was acting so strange, she continued pushing him. She said, quote, he was very quiet and unresponsive. He said, I think I'm being their fall guy. I said, fall guy for what? What have you done that you would be the fall guy? I kept pressuring him because he wasn't answering me, end quote. Alex died the very next day, and in May of 2020, a medical examiner ruled that he died from a bilateral pulmonary thromboli. That seems like a made-up word. But thanks to the wonderful smarty pants over at John Hopkins, uh, their website explained that, quote, a pulmonary embolism that can cause a lack of blood flow that leads to lung tissue damage. It can cause low blood oxygen levels that can damage other organs in the body too. A PE, particularly a large PE or many clots, can quickly cause serious life-threatening problems and even death, end quote. So Alex did die from natural causes that were caused by blood clots, if I understood correctly. It was just very strange timing. One other odd thing to note is that his toxicology report showed that he had taken the drug Narcan. Narcan is a drug that is given to people who are going through a narcotics overdose. So I cannot figure out why he would have had this in his system. From what I understand, there weren't any other drugs in his system. But based on what I read, he had been complaining of chest pains and had high blood pressure, which led to complications. Maybe his blood pressure was so high from having to deal with Chad and Lori and allegedly helping them commit crimes. 
Unfortunately, Alex died before he could face charges in his involvement in Tylee and JJ's murders. According to information that was brought up in Lori's trial, cell phone data connected Alex to the proposed times of the murders of Tylee and JJ. Investigators have been able to piece together a timeline that Tylee was most likely murdered sometime between September 8th and 9th of 2019, and JJ was murdered on September 23rd, 2019. As mentioned before, their remains were found eventually on Chad Dable's property. An article on ABC4 says, quote, According to Rick Wright, a contract special investigator with the FBI, it is likely Tylee returned to the apartment after Yellowstone, as phone data for Cox on that day did not show any unusual stopping or deviations, end quote. And according to past phone records, he was not usually at Lori's house past midnight, but on the morning of September 9th, Alex's cell phone data shows that he was at Lori's house from 2.42 a.m. until 8.49 a.m., and then around 9 a.m., he went to Chad's house and was there until 11.45 a.m. At 11.53, Chad sent that stupid, ridiculous text to Tammy about shooting and burying a raccoon in their pet cemetery while he was burning debris in their fire pit. <sighs> Tylee's body was later found buried at the pet cemetery near that fire pit. I cannot stand these people. They are absolutely disgusting. On the evening of September 22nd, 2019, Alex's phone records show that he traveled back and forth from Lori's house to his own house between 4.29 p.m. and 12.11 a.m. Then he was at his own house until he traveled to Chad's house at 9.55 a.m. and he was there until 10.12 a.m. His phone data placed him near the pond on Chad's property where JJ's remains were later found. And obviously that is not a ton of time for him to commit a murder and bury a body. So they have assumed that there were other people involved in prepping the scene or helping him with the events. Probably Chad, if we're, let's just call it what it is. If I understand correctly, the cell phone information from Alex, along with his texts from Chad, and of course all the other circumstantial evidence, was a big help for investigators to figure out where exactly to find Tylee and JJ's remains. And like I said, unfortunately, Alex died before he was able to face the consequences of his horrendous actions. So like I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, Chad has taken a little bit of a backseat in the whole situation, and that might just be because Lori's trial has been taking place, and so she is the main focal point right now, but Chad is just as much responsible for all of the deaths and scheming and BS in the whole situation. So just like Lori, Chad has been charged with the murders of Tylee and JJ, and I believe when I did the first episode about Chad and Lori, Tammy's body had been exhumed, but I don't think he had been formally charged with her murder, which he now has been. There are also three charges of conspiracy to commit murder that he has been charged with as well. Originally, Chad and Lori were going to be tried together, and their attorneys were trying to push both of their trials to 2024. Chad ended up waiving his right to a speedy trial, but Lori did not, and they eventually decided to try these cases separately. Chad has been in jail this whole time waiting for his trial date, and they just announced a few days ago that a trial date is set for April 1st, 2024. Hopefully his trial actually will happen when it's scheduled for and there won't be a bunch more delays, but there has been a lot more information put forward in what exactly happened to Tammy Daybell, and it absolutely breaks my heart. Chad and Lori and their little minions have taken so many lives and those lives lost ripple out to cause so much pain to so many people because these two were delusional and out of control. Tammy Daybell was described as an incredible mom, a wonderful friend, and she had so many people around her who loved her and cared for her deeply. And she had absolutely no idea that the man she was married to, the father of her children, was plotting her murder it makes me sick. So Tammy passed away on October 19th, 
2019. Chad said that she had gone to bed with a cough and just didn't wake up. Tammy was only 49 years old. She was completely healthy, as far as anyone knew, and then suddenly she died in her sleep, but an autopsy wasn't performed. Apparently, Chad turned that decision over to his kids to make, and it seems like his family has defended him. I don't know if they still are, given everything that's come out, but I guess one of his kids said, quote, He was standing there in complete shock, traumatized, letting us make the decision. If he was trying to hide something, I wouldn't leave something like that up to my kids if I was trying to hide something, end quote. And they're referencing the family's decision not to have an autopsy performed on Tammy. I have nothing but sympathy for Chad's family. I can't even imagine trying to wrap your head around all of this information it would be so devastating to deal with losing your mother in such a tragic way and then also finding out that you're basically losing your father because of what he has done so whether they are defending him or not they are not the ones on trial here so let's just like leave the judgment toward the people who have earned it and leave their innocent family members out of it you know what i mean i don't love some of the things they have said in his defense but they are processing a situation that is impossible and doing whatever they have to to get through it. And I'm sure that there will be more information from his family as they move into the trial. But for now, I'm not sure where they stand on his alleged involvement. But I I can't imagine having to process all of that. So while it was not solely Chad's decision not to have an autopsy, I personally feel like in order for him to collect life insurance, there should be like some kind of a mandatory rule that an autopsy has to be done when someone passes away so unexpectedly. Otherwise, what's stopping monsters like Chad Daybell from upping an insurance policy, murdering their spouse, denying an autopsy, and then cashing in on a life insurance policy, which is exactly what he did, allegedly. Chad showed up at the school district Tammy worked for two days after her death to collect her life insurance. Angela Yancey, the payroll and benefits administrator for the Sugar Salem, Idaho Schools District, testified in Lori's trial and said that Chad's behavior was well out of the norm. Angela, who has helped 15 families with life insurance collection, said she has never had someone come in that soon after their relative's death. She told Chad that he would need to apply for a death certificate, and he told her that he had already ordered eight of them, which, according to Angela, was strange because she said that the most she had ever seen anyone order was three copies. Why would he need eight? In addition to that, Angela helped them make a change to Tammy's life insurance just a few months earlier in September of 2019. Seemingly out of the blue, Tammy and Chad met with her and increased her life insurance to the maximum amount, which was five times her salary. Her total life insurance was raised to $130,000, and when she was originally hired by the school district, Tammy set her life insurance policy at $10,000. So they upped it as much as they possibly could, and then when it was all said and done, Chad was paid $400,000 from Tammy's life insurance benefits. This man is trash. In December of 2019, with the suspicions surrounding Chad and Lori, Tammy's body was exhumed, and in Lori's trial in April 2023, the actual cause of death was presented. Based on findings in her autopsy, Tammy died from asphyxiation, meaning that she was either strangled or smothered, and her body showed bruising across her arms and chest that the medical examiner said were consistent with someone being restrained. Tammy was found lying on her back, and by the time police arrived, her body was cold and stiff, meaning she had most likely been there for hours before the police were called. Up until now, I was under the impression that Chad had been the one to call 911, but in court, the 911 call was played, and it was actually one of their sons who called and told the dispatcher that he found his mom on the ground, quote-unquote, frozen. And then Chad jumped onto the call and said shortly, quote, I'm Chad, the husband. She's clearly dead, end quote. Honestly, a big double middle finger to you, Chad. 
During Lori's trial, a friend of Tammy's testified. Alice Gilbert wept on the stand as she told the court that before Tammy's death, Chad claimed he had a vision that Tammy's life on Earth was coming to an end. He didn't know how or when, but he didn't see her living past the age of 50. In my opinion, that sounds like a person plotting something, doesn't it? He apparently made that quote-unquote prediction eight months before Tammy died. And I guess both Chad and Tammy were friends with Alice and her husband, and she said that when Chad introduced Lori as his girlfriend a week after Tammy's funeral, they were shocked. She and her husband were also very confused and uncomfortable with how Chad and Lori would act together. She said, quote, They came in and sat on the couch. They were quite affectionate with each other. It was abnormal for us to see Chad that way. His arm was around her. He had his arm over her legs. She was giggling and laughing. For my husband and I, we were embarrassed just because we hadn't seen Chad that way. They looked like teenagers, end quote. Which would be totally fine if the circumstances were different, right? When they met Lori, she said that she didn't have any children. She said that she had a daughter who passed away, but she didn't even mention JJ at all. Eventually, the search for Tylee and JJ became national news, so they were able to piece together what was going on, and I guess when Lori was arrested, Chad asked the Gilberts for bond money to get her out of jail. And at that time, Alice took the opportunity to confront Chad about the kids. She said on the stand, quote, When he asked us to do this bond, I felt like, because you are asking this of us, I am going to ask you some questions. I asked him, where are the kids, Chad? Doesn't Tylee deserve a life, a car, a boyfriend? And he said, she didn't like people and she didn't like me, end quote. And this was before the search was done on his property and before Tammy's body was exhumed and Tylee and JJ were still considered missing. Alice said that this conversation really stood out to her because Chad used the past tense talking about Tylee. He said, she didn't like me instead of she doesn't like me. And that raised a big red flag for her. Tammy's sister, Samantha, was also shocked and devastated at Chad's actions. On the stand, she said, quote, You don't get married four weeks after you just buried your wife of almost 30 years. You just don't do that, end quote. When she brought this up to Chad in the first place, he told her that Lori's husband had recently died from a heart attack, and he told her, quote, There's no children, and they're going to be empty nesters, end quote. And in court, they presented some of the absolutely embarrassing, cringy, awful texts between Chad and Lori leading up to the death of each of their spouses. While they were both still married to other people, both of their spouses were still alive at the time. These two were behaving like immature, horny teenagers. They were constantly sending each other texts, saying how much they missed each other, and sending hearts and kissy emojis and calling each other by different names. Because remember, Chad said that they had lived together in multiple past lives as different people. So they would send these stupid flowery texts going on and on about their past lives together and he called Lori quote an exalted goddess who had returned to earth to perform a special mission end quote barf they would send texts talking about how excited they were to be together forever and how in love they were with each other again as they sleep next to their current spouses I just and listen I understand having an affair is not illegal okay but it's shitty. Don't just get a divorce. What? Just get a divorce and don't murder people. The end. Run off together. Run off into the sunset and go believe that zombies are taking over the world and leave everyone else out of it, you weirdos. In August of 2019, Chad sent one of the most idiotic texts I've ever had the displeasure of reading. And since I had to suffer through it, so do you. Here we go. He said, quote, tonight I figured out who I feel like. 
I'm a grown-up version of Harry Potter who has to live with the Dudleys in his little space under the stairs. Every few weeks I get to escape and have amazing adventures with my goddess lover, but then I have to return to my place under the stairs, feeling trapped. But I sense permanent freedom is coming, end quote. <laughs> um, first of all, it's the Dursleys, you moron. And second of all, you disgust me. Poor you, that you're trapped under the stairs living your normal life with your wo loving, wonderful wife and your children. But you're complaining because you want to go be with your goddess lover, Lori. Again, get a divorce like a normal person. People are dead because these two middle-aged, grown-ass adults wanted to have this little fluffy teenage relationship. Okay, calm. I get so mad. Um, along with those ridiculous and embarrassing texts, there were also some that were so upsetting and inappropriate, it's hard to talk about. Um, there were some very upsetting messages that they would send each other talking about how they would like to use Charles and Tammy's life insurance. And after Lori found out that Charles had changed his life insurance beneficiary to his sister so she wouldn't be getting that money, she texted Chad, quote, I'll still get the 4000 a month from Social Security, referring to the Social Security benefits her children were receiving that she was then going to take for them to use for their stupid bullshit. It was also revealed in court that Lori was searching for life insurance policies for Tylee and JJ two months before they were murdered. So for now, let's stick a pin in Chad's portion of this. Like I said, he still has his own trial to go through, and he's currently looking at the death penalty if he's found guilty. Fingers crossed. Okay, I said I was going to try to keep this short, and I ha have already been recording for an hour. So I'll try to condense the last few things that were covered in Lori's trial. And I already mentioned quite a few things throughout the rest of the episode, but there is a really good article from The Independent that sums up each of the most important facts. And I will link that if you want to take a look at that. Like I mentioned at the top of the episode, there also is a list of all of my sources for each episode. I will have that link in the description box as well. So you can go over and do your own deep dive on all of the information if you would like. I feel like this episode should just be called Lori Vallow-Davell. What a nightmare. If you have been following this case, or even if you weren't following this case, you probably remember seeing her smiling and carrying on as if she had no idea why police were so upset with her or why they were hunting her down, and she was wearing that stupid red lipstick in her court dates, etc., etc. She was insufferable through this trial, and I genuinely feel bad for the people who had to sit there watching her act cold and indifferent and clueless the entire time. Of course, there was a lot of back and forth as the trial date approached. They pushed it multiple times because it seems like she was really playing up the not mentally competent to stand trial thing. Um, her lawyers pushed for her to spend some time under psychiatric care, and then she was eventually deemed competent to stand trial. She couldn't keep weaseling her way out of it. Obviously, there is something seriously wrong with this woman, but that does not mean that she is, like, clinically insane, right? She knew what she was doing was wrong. And finally, enough was enough, and it was time for her to face the consequences of her own selfish actions. Lori's trial started on April 10th, 2023, and lasted for six weeks. Originally, they were seeking the death penalty, but her attorneys petitioned for the death penalty to be taken off of the table because they wouldn't have enough time to fully review some of the new evidence presented. An article from CBS News says, quote, During a hearing, Judge Stephen Boyce agreed. He noted that Vallow Daybell has not waived her right to a speedy trial, so the proceeding could not be rescheduled to give her defense team ample time to review the evidence, end quote. So they decided not to seek the death penalty. Instead, she would be facing life in prison. During opening statements, the prosecution presented the motive of money, power, and sex. 
Fremont County Prosecutor Lindsey Blake said, quote, Tylee had money. Lori wanted it. Tylee's gone. JJ took time, and he also lost his father. When he lost his father, he became much more difficult to care for. He was entitled to Social Security benefits. The defendant didn't want to have to take care of JJ anymore. He had money. JJ's gone. End quote. He also went on to point out that as their romance and affair blossomed, Lori was willing to do whatever it took, saying, quote, The defendant will remove any obstacle in her way to get what she wants, and she wanted Chad Daybell. End quote. For what reason, I cannot figure out. But that's true. The court heard all of the information that I mentioned earlier, including the testimony from Alex's wife, Zulema, and from Lori's niece's ex-husband, Brandon, and her current husband, Ian Pulowski. The cause of Tammy's death and supporting evidence was also presented. They presented a look into Chad and Lori's cult beliefs and explained that they felt they were put on this earth to gather the 144,000 people to be saved from the end of days. They went into details about the zombies and the dark and light spirit scale and how everyone fell on there. Prosecution pointed to how their wackadoodle beliefs pushed them to commit murders because they felt that they could get away with it and that their religious beliefs could justify their actions. And real quick, because I know that there's going to be someone who feels like it's their job to defend Chad and Lori in the comments. Believe whatever wackadoodle things you want to believe. Okay, there are plenty of things that I believe in spiritually that people are going to think are stupid, and that's fine. Believe whatever you want. Do your thing. Like, embrace your weirdness. I love it. We draw the line when it comes to then ruining other people's lives and murder, okay? Like, believe whatever you want, but leave other people out of it. So just to get that out of the way, I'm not judging anyone for their beliefs. I'm judging them for the actions they take because of their quote-unquote religious affiliations, okay? Moving on. You guys, this case, I'm heated. I'm like literally warm because this case makes me so angry. I think many of you probably feel that same way because it's absolutely infuriating to listen to these people do anything. Moving on. It was revealed that the Rexburg police found several alarming items during their search of Chad's property, including several guns, ammunition, empty magazines, silencers, army grade knives, hazmat suits, and doomsday preparedness bags with emergency kits and camouflage suits. There were also trash bags full of clothes and papers, including JJ's toys and his prescription medications. They also found that between Chad, Lori, and Alex, they had a total of 21 burner phones that were used over a period of 18 months. And I just wanted to give you a heads up. We are getting into the really difficult parts. I will try to keep it the least graphic that I can, but the way that they found Tylee and JJ is very upsetting, and the jury did have to see the autopsy photos of Tylee and JJ's remains, and it's very difficult to hear, so if you would like to skip ahead a little bit, you can do that now. And I will be honest, I like typing up this script and looking into this research, I had a really hard time putting all of this together, um, so I'm going to try to get through it the best that I can. The last photo taken of seven-year-old JJ was taken on September 19th, 2019. In the photo, he was wearing red pajamas, sitting on a couch at Lori's house. Jurors were, shown a f Jurors were shown photos of JJ's body in a shallow grave wearing those same pajamas. His arms were wrapped in duct tape, and there was a plastic bag over his head with thick layers of duct tape around it. His body was partially covered with a blanket and then covered with wood paneling and three white stones that were placed on top of that. JJ's autopsy also revealed that he had GHB in his system, which is a date rape drug, and he had scratch marks on his neck, suggesting that he was awake and fighting to get the bag off of his head. DNA also revealed that Lori's hair was found on the duct tape and Alex's fingerprints were found on the plastic that JJ was wrapped in. 
Tylee was just about to turn 17 before her death. Her remains were so badly burned that an autopsy was impossible. Her body had been dismembered, burned, and dispersed on Chad's property. JJ's grandparents, Kay and Larry Woodcock, sobbed as the images were shown in court, and jurors were visibly upset, which is understandable. I cannot imagine having to be present for all of this in a courtroom. Everyone in the room was shaken up. Everyone was upset and horrified at what had been done to these two sweet, innocent kids who had plenty of people around them who would have been more than happy to take them in and take them out of Lori's care and love them and care for them and keep them safe. But left in the hands of their nightmare mother and her piece of crap new husband, their lives were brutally taken. During this in court, (laughs) Lori had the audacity to have her attorney's request that she should be allowed to be excused from the room while the graphic testimony and photos were shown. The judge quickly denied that request. Good. It is called consequences, Lori. You don't get to walk away from what you did, whether it was with her own two hands or indirectly. Lori's children were killed because she put them in this situation. So no, you don't get to leave the courtroom. You're going to sit there like everybody else and look at what you've done. I just can't even imagine having to sit in court and watch her behave the way that she did. Text messages were shown from August of 2019 that showed Lori was complaining about Tylee and JJ And she said to Chad, quote, We are both so tired of taking care of demons. We are weary. Please ask the Lord to take them. End quote. Oh, Lori. In those text messages, they also went on to talk about inflicting pain on Tylee and JJ. And Lori said that if they started to act up again, quote, We can zap them. End quote. To which Chad said, quote, Sounds great. Yes, if they are going to act up, we'll at least give them a reason to scream. End quote. Good luck in prison, you assholes. I hope they have exactly the time they both deserve. I hate these people. I cannot even... uh... The court also had to listen to a very disturbing phone call between Lori and her surviving son, Colby. Also, one quick note that I did want to make because someone pointed it out in the last episode. Colby Ryan is Lori's first son, and when she married joseph ryan colby took on his last name but joseph did not adopt colby i think originally there were sources that said that colby had been adopted by his stepdad but that is not the case so just a quick note there as a correction from the last episode during colby's testimony the court listened to a jailhouse phone call where colby confronted his mother two months after tylee and jj's remains were found colby said quote my siblings my whole family my dad everyone is gone except my mom and you're in jail because of it you ripped my heart out You ripped everyone's heart out. You murdered my siblings, end quote. Lori responded, I didn't. I'm sorry you feel that way, end quote. Colby then begged his mom to tell him the truth about what happened, and he asked her how she could ever believe that Jesus Christ was on her side, to which Lori laughed and said that only Tylee and JJ know what happened. She said to Colby, quote, They love me, and they are fine, and they know the truth, and we are the only people that do, end quote. And then she claimed that it would all become clear in the afterlife, as if that makes up for anything she has done. It terrifies me that there are people walking around with these kinds of thoughts in their heads. Like, Chad and Lori literally believed that they were doing something directed to them from quote-unquote God. It's horrifying. And I would like to actually know your opinion on this. Do you think that they seriously believed that Chad was a prophet? Or do you think that they were just, like, making all this stuff up to come up with a reason Like, do they genuinely, they seriously believe that people are zombies? In court, they also played a clip of a Doomsday Prepper podcast that Lori and her friends did, where Lori said that she was a warrior who had fought Satan. 
She said that her life had turned really bad and then, quote, the Lord showed me myself as a warrior, a warrior. I fought with Satan in the pre-existence. He showed this to me so I will quit crying in the temple. He showed me so I could be the warrior he sent me here to do, end quote. She went on to say, quote, my job, according to Jesus Christ, is to wake up the women warriors. I, too, have gone to the bottom edge. I, too, have seen the resurrected Jesus Christ, and he has told me my mission, and he has sent me here to help people and lift them in their mission, end quote. I just, like, the number one rule in Christianity and, like, in the LDS religion is not, like, don't murder people. It's pretty basic. It's right there, okay? But then somehow these people always come up with, like, except for me, because God wants me to murder people. I j- It's delusional. Lori's sister, Summer Shiflett, testified as well, and her testimony was absolutely heartbreaking. If I remember correctly, she did defend Lori in the beginning, but then had to come to this awful realization that she didn't know her own sister at all. They played a jailhouse phone call between Lori and Summer, where Summer sobbed and told Lori that she would have taken the kids. She confronted her about how Tylee and JJ's remains were found, and she confronted her about how their whole family had been desperately searching for these kids, while she ran off to Hawaii and got married. In this phone call, Lori dodged question after question, but eventually she cracked a little bit. Summer shouted at her, you were dancing on a beach with a smile on your face, taking wedding photos. And Lori replied, yeah, months later, trying to go on with life, trying to be happy, trying to find some kind of happiness. You think I want to be alone? So this little slip up was pointed out because Lori has always denied knowing anything about what happened to Tylee and JJ. She denied everything the entire time while they were missing up until their remains were found. She insisted that they were quote unquote safe. So her saying still went on to go and get married in Hawaii and go and have a good time. That shows that she knew where the remains were the whole time and kind of makes her whole story fall apart. It also kind of seems to me because Lori always goes for this like, oh, poor me, feel bad for me. It's like she was trying to play into that to her sister. You just said that you knew everything without saying it. Do you know what I mean? And that was basically what was implied in court as well. Another one of Lori's friends testified about her bizarre behavior. Audrey Baratario said that after she confronted her about JJ and Tylee's disappearance, Lori laughed at her and said to her, quote, You're so naive and too trusting. You're like a little child. You think the world is all unicorn and rainbows. You go around helping people and serving them. Well, I've got news for you. Not everyone is a good person and not everyone can be so kind, end quote. Lori is the worst. That's not very gather the women warriors and support them of you, Lori. Audrey said that Lori then threatened to kill her and gave her details about blood and bleach and how she would cut her up and bury her in a place that no one would ever find her. Can you even imagine standing there having this conversation with Lori? Yikes. She is terrifying. Once it was all said and done, the state called about 60 witnesses to testify against Lori, and the defense called none. Lori's attorney, Jim Archibald, told the court that Lori would not be testifying, and they would not be calling any witnesses. They were ready to present their closing arguments. Jim Archibald said, quote, We don't believe the state has proven its case, so the defense rests, end quote. And real quick, can someone explain to me what that means in lawyer talk? Is he saying they don't feel the need to call witnesses because they don't think the prosecution presented enough evidence for a conviction? Because if that's what he's saying, like, are you are you serious? But in my opinion, it seems like they knew that they were screwed. So they went for a last ditch effort to point everything at Chad. 
Jim tried his best to paint Lori as a hardworking, great mother whose life suddenly changed when she fell under Chad's spell, please. He said that Lori was, quote, under the control of Chad and under the spell of his cult beliefs. He said, quote, why can't people escape religious leaders? Why can't Lori escape and get back to her good mom life? Lori is not a leader in Chad's new church, the Church of the Fireborn. Lori wants to testify of Jesus. She wants to tell the world how much she loves Jesus. She wants to tell you she personally met him on more than one occasion, end quote. Dude, seriously? That's what you got up with in front of the court at the end of this trial? That's your defense? Lori has not shown one second of remorse. She hasn't once claimed that she had been bamboozled by Chad and that she didn't know what she was doing. She has been covering for him for every step of the way. She has denied everything every step of the way. The amount of photos showing Lori smiling and chuckling in court and like on her way in and out of court are so upsetting. What the hell do you have to smile about, Lori? You're not going to swoop in and fool anybody that this was all Chad's fault. Don't be ridiculous. That obviously didn't work. And the jury only deliberated for seven hours before finding Lori guilty of all six of the counts against her. Since the trial has wrapped up, there have been a couple of new developments. Just a few days after her conviction, Lori was indicted on a charge of conspiracy to commit the murder of her niece's ex-husband, Brandon Boudreaux. The indictment states that she was plotting with Alex that one of them would kill Brandon. And if you remember, I mentioned earlier, um, Lori's niece, Melanie, was not put on the stand. And I have seen a lot of speculation that it could have been because prosecutors knew that the conspiracy charge was coming from Arizona and they didn't want to put any of that in jeopardy because of what Melanie might say in court. That's just speculation at this point, but I think that makes a lot of sense. And as I mentioned, she is also facing another charge of conspiracy to commit murder in connection to Charles Vallow's death. Once Lori has officially been sentenced in Idaho, the Arizona court system will take over and she will have to go through the whole court process there as well. So for now, that is where things sit. And obviously, unfortunately, we are going to have to continue talking about Lori and Chad because there is still a lot that is going to come out as those court processes happen over the next year or so. Um, so I'll keep you updated when we have more to go over. And with that, don't forget to subscribe and I will talk to you very soon. Bye. Honestly, these people are just the worst and I wish that we could just like lock them up, throw away the key and never talk about them again.